Welcome, listeners, friends. My name is Russ Shaw. This is episode 7 of season 7. A.S. Or attitudes of sexual integrity. 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 A.S. You're listening to... Hey, the simulated vinyl violence is here to acknowledge with great adoration producers Glenn and Carlton for making this pirate podcast broadcast possible. Head on over to ASI247.org if you'd like to join this motley production crew that makes this ASI thing's gears turn. This is Lauren Jenkins covering a uh, popular song from my wilder days. I'm really glad you're here. Come on in. Listen She's a razor sharp If she don't get away She'll slice you with bites Now she's a cool, cool babe Moves like a cat If you don't get a game Well, you might not make it back She's got the looks that kill That kill She's got the looks that kill That kill Lauren Jenkins. Hey, if you like the music, or if you like this here podcast, go on over to ASI247.org. There you'll find a link to head on over to Spotify, search for ASI Podcast Bumps, and follow the music, follow the artists, if you like the artist, all right? I'm not getting a paid a dime to say that, I'm just... Trying to keep my nose clean with the recording industry over here. <laughs> In talk radio, that's called a promo bumper. Um, and technology allows us to get connected more with the music and the artists today. And that, my friends, is a bluesy country kind of version of Motley Crue's Looks That Kill. Uh, that song reminds me of... A couple of different things. It's it's sex, right? It's attraction, possibly arousal, maybe anger in there somewhere, right? I did a whole show on the F word and what that word actually means. Actually, I broke it down. It was a Urban Dictionary or something like that. This is before UrbanDictionary.com was a thing. Actually, it was a friend of mine had a slang dictionary and that's what it was and it was sitting on the shelf and it, i think it was his dad's or something and i looked up the f word right what what does that mean <laughs> what does this dictionary say and it was uh it was fascinating it said um it's both a sexual word right like we're gonna fuck we're gonna like do it like there's that and then there's Malice. What the word, the number one definition of the F word was to strike and to strike with malice. 
which I thought was amazing. And then it, it's weird how it's tied to sexual energy as well, or arousal, or fucking, right? Just doing it. But she's got the looks that kill, right? She's got the looks that might choke out your life. There's that message in that song. Good-looking people. This is something uh, interesting from social psychology. Researchers at Chapman University study what traits people view as desirable or essential in a long-term partner. The study found that 92% of male participants reported wanting a potential partner to be good-looking, compared to only 84% of women. There was another study that found that men were more likely to tolerate unfairness, such as a hefty salary negotiation when dealing with attractive women. There's a study from uh, Zhejiang University School of Management in China, and they gave 21 male participants 300 photos of women and were asked to answer if they could accept each subject's offer to split the sum of money. In other words, a little bait and switch, right? Like, we'll give you this amount of money for the product. And then the woman comes in and says, no, we're going to give you half of that. And men are more likely to go, okay, you know, I'll do that. The results indicated that men were more likely to engage in unfair negotiations with an attractive woman. A 2013 study sent out 10,000 resumes changing only the names, addresses, and photo to analyze callback rates. While the average callback rate was 30% of all resumes, attractive women got invited for interviews 54% of the time, while attractive men only got called back about 47% of the time. I find it curious how women tend to be less shallow about physical appearance or looks or beauty, right? I mean, I'm a man. I don't I don't wear makeup, right? <laughs> I don't I don't put something on my body to try and make it, myself look younger. Yet women t- tend to not care about that stuff as much when it comes to others. It's an interesting observation. Attractive people tend to make more money. Attractive people tend to exude more confidence. These are all different scientific studies that have been done. Um, Attractive people tend to win over their uh, opponents in an election than unattractive pundits. Yes, us humans uh, were inclined to pay people more just depending on how they look. Um, in a 2005 experiment, modeling hiring processes, would-be employees looking at photographs of would-be employees were ready to give 10.5 higher salaries to the attractive people over the unattractive people. In the same experiment, hiring managers carried that premium over to interactions that only happened on the phone. In other words, you only need to sound attractive to benefit from our biases towards beauty. (laughs) It's like, wow. Behavioral science is fascinating, right? Because I think that this is important research because 
how many of us are conscious of it, right? Like, do we really know or realize we're doing that, especially in the world of business? This article is from Business Insider, by the way, and I put it on uh, the Facebook page, Heart, Mind, Love, Sex, and Affection, if you want to check that out. And I find this fascinating, and it goes into the topic today. Um, I, I find this fascinating because we tend to not see or realize things that are right in front of us. Our sexual drives or sexual biases tend to be elusive. Like, you'd think business would want to hire the best person for the job. Like, that's what we would naturally, the conclusion of business and services, right? But a lot of this research is showing that that's not really the case. And sometimes it is. I mean, there are good-looking people that are more qualified based on some of the research when it comes to self-confidence, and how they value themselves. But that's part of what this conversation is about. I'm sure most of us would have experiences and knowledge in our lives to say, yeah, no, the most beautiful person, the most attractive, physically attractive person, isn't always the most qualified. It's just, you know, we all have those kinds of experiences. And that's what I wanted to bring to the table here. It's not that black and white. And there's also been a lot of research on how we think about ourselves, how we value ourselves is much the way we think about and value others. I think it was Maya Angelou who said, I don't trust people who don't like love or care for themselves because if they can't like love and care for themselves how can they like love and care for others um, that's not an exact quote but something to that effect and I thought that was beautiful and something I've learned over the years and the many people I've met in different various points of recovery and working to um, heal in life I've talked a lot on this show about finding a group of people, a safe place where you can be vulnerable, where you can open up your heart. It's so important. But yeah, man, not everyone is a safe place. Like over time in recovery groups, especially, I was challenged by certain people, you know, and sometimes that can feel like an affront or an offense to something that I believed. And basically they were kind of, hey, I'm challenging you to analyze the way you're thinking about that or thinking about myself. And sometimes that cannot feel safe being challenged. But when you're thirsty, um, having someone bring a little water, that feels good. Feels like someone trying to bring some life-giving good information. Having some people in your life who seem really comfortable in their own skin. Flaws, vulnerabilities, and all. The place they're at on their path. 
and the energy that they exude in that place. For me, those are souls who exude authenticity. I think that's a big part of that feeling, being in the presence of someone who you're like, oh yeah, that guy, that woman, I have a sense that they're comfortable in their own skin. And what if the reason we're having that feeling is we're experiencing their energy, we're seeing like a reflection of the divine, and that is them liking, loving, and caring for themselves at that place in their story, on their journey, or on their pilgrimage, as my friend Seth and his brother David would say. Speaking of attitudes of sexual integrity, it's the exuding of a certain attitude at a point in time, an attitude that, that says, I don't have to blame anyone anymore. I'm going to walk this path imperfectly, doing the best I can with who I am. That saying is attached to that emotion self-worth, self-confidence. Having someone like that in your life is like gold, you know. The money we would spend on a therapist, it's like that person. Not that they're experts or, you know, have any education in philosophy or psychology, but they are authentically moving through these layers on their own path. And being around them, being in their presence, you can feel it. I think that's where that sense of safety comes in. Like, you just feel it. You just know in your knower. Okay, these are people I can open myself up around, and I'm not going to be ridiculed or torn down or torn apart. These are people I can trust with my secrets, with my inner stuff. Stepping out into emotional risk, which is the foundation of intimacy. There's layers to how we process our sexuality and self-worth. Much like unpeeling an onion, right? There's levels to how we see others and how we think about and self-talk. Right, process our own emotions and experiences through the eyes and the face and the body that we were given. So the reason I started the show talking about physical attractiveness is it's a way to communicate and hopefully give you um, some language for the layers. Understanding these layers. What are you talking about, Russ? The layers. Right. We have to deepen. What does that mean? I I talked about that in some of the early shows. Like I didn't like the vagueness to, you know, psychological or spiritual or philosophical talk. It just sounds vague to me. I don't understand it. I don't have a lot of value in what's vague. So and I get that. Like there's certainty is a whole I've had a lot of 
<laughs> work in that area, you know, having to, that's part of the foundation of being vulnerable, of having intimacy is letting go of certain certainties that we have. You can't get to truth when you're, have a stranglehold on certainty, right? Like, this is the way God or the universe, you know, this is the right and appropriate thing. And, and sometimes it doesn't always mean that what we learned or grew up with was wrong or false teaching or something like that. But what if there's just certain layers to it, you know? What if there's this black and white attitude towards it is damaging our ability to have intimacy in our lives, um, to be able to open ourselves up like that, right? Uh, the movie Footloose is kind of a cool example. If you haven't seen it, old movie, Kevin Bacon back in the day. Uh, it, it's about a town that outlawed dancing, you know. Why would you outlaw dancing? Well, because it stirs up sexual badness, sexual thoughts and impurities and this is an example of peeling back the layers in that film Footloose. It reflects part of that heart and the head or the flesh and the spirit, right? Like, we're both Kevin Bacon and we also have the lawmaker in us, right? The judge in that film, right? Like, he's such a... I, that guy's in me, right? Like he was... He had a lot of power in me earlier in my life. I was certain and I had to hold on to this. And if I didn't, I might go to hell or something. I had to start thinking about some of that. Like, is God, uh, like the Bible says, a loving father or parent figure, like Abba father, right? Or is God like the judge in the film Footloose, you know? Not having clear understandings of my relationship with the creator, the divine, you know, not feeling like the divine in the tradition I grew up with had a good relationship with itself. The father killed the son, but the father is the son. They're both God. Like, where's the Holy Spirit while all of this is going on? I thought there was three does not compute, like solve the dissonance wasn't working out relationally when it came to valuing me in the midst of meaning, existence, my place in the world. These these were risky thoughts for me to even start thinking about stuff like that at the time. Letting go of some of that, that's being vulnerable. It's not just letting go of it. It's going, all right, I'm going to question this and see if it's really real. See, that is more of a relationship with God or the divine or the universe or whatever than just here's your instruction manual. You know, the Bible teaches us uh, there's so much of that language out there. You want to be saved, you got to buy into our system of thinking and thought and teaching. In Matthew 23, you know, Jesus says to the religious authorities, like, I am the one teacher. Don't call yourselves father or even authority. Some of those translations, speaking of layers, you know, it's Matthew 23, 9, if you want to look it up. All right. Don't call anyone your earthly father. What does that mean? Like, I have a dad um, from what I have gleaned. In my understanding, 
not trying to force the Jesus pill down your throat, all right, or tell you what you should or ought to believe. I see this as that close-knit relationship that God wants with us. An unseen form of idolatry can be this attitude of who is your religious authority. Yet right here in the book, right, verse 10 um, do not let yourselves be called leaders or teachers, for there is one leader, teacher, the Christ. Like That's in the book. This is not popular language amongst especially Christianity today. Um, the Bible is using this language of breaking down those barriers between us and the divine, and a lot of it's religion, man. There's just so much that we're taught to buy into and that's not why the book was written and this is a love letter it's a collection of stories it's philosophy it's wisdom it's music it's song and not all happy you know joy praise songs either like there is very much some music about hurt and pain and the blues in the psalms um, that's not very popular either, but it's true. The Bible, the book, it's not uh, its not an instruction manual. I said that in the early shows. It really isn't something I've learned, something I've had to come to terms with. And when I was able to see this collection of stories, wisdom, philosophy, song, um, for the relationship with my creator that it was, I, I saw it as way more valuable. There's something magical that happens. You start opening that book and reading it, man. Even though I really did have a lot of anger and animosity towards it in the beginning of my recovery journey. When we start to have that attitude, that's when we can actually start to see truth. This is where scientists, um, I, I appreciate science. You get a bunch of scientists in a room discussing a theory. They don't tend to fight and draw lines and walk away from each other like theologians do, you know. Behavioral scientists, you know, they'll throw out a situation and measure it and try and understand how people think or operate or feel. It, they're not you know, all denominational about it, right? <laughs> Baptist, and we're the Pentecostals, and our way's the right way. And no, let's just look at this, and maybe we can all talk about and come to some conclusions and, and possibly learn more about our fellow humans by doing this social experiment or by studying this genome or something, right? And sure, I'm reflecting on some of my religious upbringing, but we all had worldview formation. And for some of you, this is your parents, this is your family structure, how they were able to, you know, hold with an open hand certain ideas, especially around sex and relationship and value, or how they valued being in those situations with those other people on the car ride home <laughs> from said situations. You get a sense of what's valued and what's not. Scientists 
can stay in the room with difference a lot better, I've found, than religious people or theologians can, for the most part. Some of the attitudes of certainty that surround uh, religious formation, you know, as soon as you leave the situation, there's that person's an idiot, right? And there just tends to be a lot more things that aren't brought to the surface in conversations about worldview. And maybe some of you experienced that in your family growing up, religious or not. In the realm of art and science, there's a more of a feeling of safety around bringing that stuff out in the open or in the light. And it's in that spirit that hopefully this show exists now, as opposed to when it started. Um, and as a communication tool, the layers can be seen by the fact that you don't ever see a supermodel flying in coach. <laughs> Right. It's very rare to see a supermodel, you know, not in first class. Right. All this science and all this research is just bringing to the surface something that we already know about the human condition, that physical attractiveness, that surface beauty. Right. Not that that's bad or anything, but it really does the the attractiveness, physicality, the good lookingness of a individual. It, it does drive what we are passionate for, what we like, what we follow. And this song um going with a bit of an 80s theme today. Right. <laughs> the movie Footloose. Um Looks That Kill, and this band, a bumper from Ario Speedwagon. There you go. I saw you at midnight in a dream that I had. From nowhere you stood there and you seemed so sad. And a vicious decision is driving me mad. Should I follow my head or follow my heart? You were different, indifferent, unbelievably cool. I approached you to show you that I'm nobody's a fool. In error for terror as I sense your care. Should I follow my head or follow my Bumper by Ario Speedwagon. That's from the album High Infidelity, by the way. Should I follow my head or my heart? Um, this is the research that, you know, this is why this research came about. Like, you and I know it. The American people know it, right? <laughs> this idea that we are going to be biased towards the beautiful people. Right, the good-looking people, the physically attractive people. We know this. Now let's do some research to put it on paper. Right, a scientific study to acknowledge what we really do already know. Most of us. 
it's graduation time, and there's so much advice out there. Facebook's doing this thing today as I'm recording this um, huge kind of graduation ceremony video thing on Facebook, and some celebrity stopped by, and different students and teachers and stuff from high schools and colleges, and they're all dispensing advice. And and one of the things that we hear over and over again is, you know, don't be a follower, be a leader, right? Innovate, get out there, right? Do the thing that's meant for you to do. And again, that gets into some of that language, right? That kind of spiritual language, that vague, what is that, right? And some of us keep asking that question as we move through life. I know I have. And maybe sexually speaking, if I was asked (laughs) to do a little speech, a little snippet, right? I might say something like, you know, that really hot person, like, whoa, hubba hubba, right? <laughs> Some old stuff. Tex Avery cartoons. I don't know if you Tex Avery is. He's the one that's uh, famous for creating the wolf character, you know, and his eyes pop out of his head and his tongue comes out and it's like, ah, whoa. Those caricatures exist for a reason. Somewhere in our human psyche, we identify with that. So I might say to the graduating class of 2020, whether you're in high school or you're 50-something, younger men and women, like, don't get pulled into the physical attractiveness of someone. There's It's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to who that person is. I remember being in essay kind of groups, you know. Uh, I was in a couple SA groups for a little while back in the day. Um, but but seeing, like, good-looking people in those groups and thinking to myself, man, they have it tougher than I do. <laughs> like, like, really attractive people. It must be hard to be a sex addict. I laugh because uh, I'm like a solid seven, all right? That's, that's me. I think if I was, I, I've been told that. Anyway, I don't know. As far as physical attractiveness, I'm not, right? I'm not ugly, but I'm no Chris Helmsworth either, right? Mixing a little my sincerity with humor here. I know it's weird sometimes I laugh at some of these uh, intense, (laughs) deeply (laughs) thoughtful things, but that's just how I roll. That's how I uh, I, am turning from sarcasm. (laughs) This This is how I do it. But seriously, um... It's it's not that really attractive people have a harder time as much as the deepening when you're so valued in the respect of good looks and first impressions. I empathize with those who walk through life with that. It's not always a picnic. It's not always great, um, especially some of the stories of of women I've heard who grew up in poverty. I mean, there's a certain value to having good looks when there's not a lot of opportunity in the world that can create all sorts of sexual dysfunction and mixed messages about one's value, for example. That's really what I wanted to bring to your attention in this episode is that there is a value to things that aren't always measured on the surface. 
And I know that's not like, oh, shocking, Russ. Like, I, I didn't know that. Um, I'm working here to produce language for seeing it, working to bring some tangibility to the valuable things we can't put a price on, a value to the things that science is trying to explain that we're trying to more deeply understand with research. And it's funny how we use sexual language to explain some of the joys of life, right? Like, that turns me on, or he or she really gets off on that. It's interesting, some of the language we use, and a big one, a really eye-opening one, is something I've heard women use. I've even heard my mom use this, God rest her soul, back in the day. Um, he's my knight in shining armor. And it's interesting how in this context, armor can be seen as like shining armor. And armor can very much be physical appearance, good looks, who we want to reflect ourselves as to the rest of the world. It can be social media. I think it was Rob Bell who said... You know, every social media picture, right? Every picture on Instagram is someone saying, this is me, right? This is me here. This is me wearing this. This is me eating dinner. This is me. We're kind of projecting out as we're working to esteem ourselves. Like, this is who I am and what I do. And I'm not saying those things are bad, all right? Hear me out. I'm not here to critique these things as much as point to the fact that this is a layer of who we are. I heard that the ancient Greek word for beauty is witnessing the whole of a thing in all of its glory. The whole of a thing is all of its layers. And I think this goes beyond just objects of beauty or sexuality and sex symbols, they're called. There's another interesting term, right? A sex symbol. A symbol in shining armor. But beauty, that ancient Greek definition of beauty, is all of the layers of that person. That's why the value of being comfortable in your own skin, it takes... Sometimes, for me, it's taken a lot of work. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I'm still, in certain situations, not totally comfortable in my own skin. I don't always feel like a whole person, right? And that's okay. And the ability to tell you all that, the vulnerability of such a statement... This is the robust richness of life and relationships and beauty and the path. And I just wanted to communicate that in this episode, that there's way more to you than your shining armor, than the symbol of what's on the outside. And it's realizing how we hunger and thirst and why we hunger and thirst for the images and the things that 
are much like the, the metaphor I used and likened to my pornography and sexual addiction, those shot glasses of sand that we feel like are going to quench that thirst or satisfy that emptiness inside that tend to just leave us thirsty for more. There is a value and a depth from the tips of our toes and our fingers to the recesses of our soul. All of our layers as individuals, as human beings, and as spiritual creatures. Early in doing this show, I started to get this kind of hunger and thirst for the knowledge and listening to seminary lectures and wanting to understand spiritual stuff and trusting that Christianity was the best one because it had a long history and, you know, you can trust something with a long history. Like, I still believe some of that, but there's like, again, 33,000 denominations, you know, hundreds of translations of the scriptures but I was working on the surface for something to trust spiritually. And there are many of us who adorn ourselves with the intellectual. Bill Hybels, the pastor, disgraced pastor from Willow Creek, who had, what, 10, 11 sexual assault cases brought against him. Here's a man who spent a lot of time on, and one would think very much valued sexual integrity, intimacy, and harmony in relationships. He wrote books on sexual integrity. Some of that language I used in the show, starting the show, I was a fan of Hybels back then. And he wrote a lot of these books because he himself struggled with it. But he would adorn the intellect and talk about, you know, the systems and the stuff out there and the things you should and ought to do. Yet he himself never exposed to the world that secret, hidden part of him that struggled with his own self-control and his own predatory, egoic behavior towards the opposite sex. And he still hasn't um, confessed to it or acknowledged the pain and hurt that he caused not only his victims, but the organization of Willow Creek that he hurt. This is an example of that adorning one's exterior with, you know, all these pastors who do sermons on porn yet never actually get help for the reason they're doing those sermons, right? A beautiful mind geared to figure things out who gets awards for things that they write or, in my case, podcasts that they do. For me, I went seven years of doing this podcast, uh, quote, sexually pure, you know, even though I didn't use that language. And that was another kind of part of my flesh or my ego was saying, you know, I'm not going to use that purity language. Yet as I peeled back the layers and realized there was more work to do and more grace that I had to have for myself and realizing the pathology and the worldview shift that was happening 
inside of my body. That word integrity and part of why I use it here in this title of this podcast is I learned about that as a machinist in a machine shop. Integrity is a part. Like, Does the part have integrity? Can it do what it's tasked with to do? And the truth is growing in wholeness and bringing all those different parts of yourself into one it's going to take grace and it's going to be messy. Brene Brown said, trust is choosing to take something important to you and making it vulnerable to the actions of someone else. Distrust is what I have shared with you that's important to me is not safe with you. And somewhere in the duality of those two statements, our worldview was shaped and habits were formed. She also said, vulnerability is the willingness to show up when we can't control the outcome. That's the hard thing to do, sharing your personal frustrations, is it can be very scary. We have all fallen a victim to the idea that we're supposed to be comfortable all of the time. It's going to take trusting in, and I know this may be triggery in some of the language of 12-step, right? Like here it comes, that religious part of it, and hating the, quote, spiritual language in it, the religion of it. And I get that. I'm not a big fan of religion either. But higher power, the order of things that's bigger than anything we could comprehend, possibly, a, a power that's, that's greater than ourselves. I heard a definition of theology. It was either from the Celtic or Franciscan tradition. I can't remember, um, but this stuck with me. Theology is the exploration of beauty and truth. That was something different than the tradition I grew up in. This stirred my curiosity to to push beyond the boundaries of the comfortable and familiar animal hunger and thirst that monkey brain egoic part of us that we don't necessarily want to acknowledge is running the show most days. It is for me, I'll be honest. It takes work for me to get into a quiet space in my heart and in my spirit. You know, most of the time I'm functioning on what's, where's my next, what am I going to eat next? You know, what's on TV tonight? Is there any good movies on Netflix? You know, right? All of this stuff that is living life. And again, that's not bad stuff. It's, but I think anxiety, depression, there's a bunch of different things that can bubble out of or be a byproduct of being a slave to those things. Reminds me of that, that line from The Matrix written by Lana Wachowski. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around you, even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Neo says, what truth? 
Morpheus says that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, into a prison that you cannot see or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Such good piercing language there from the film The Matrix from 1999. And it's so true that going to church has been its just another part of the matrix for a lot of us it's just part of the facade that's been pulled over our eyes and isn't it true that religion especially in western culture church reduced down to is a, a show let's put on a show right there's some language that's like adorning oneself i want to leave you with a quote here you go this is a uh, I've used this in the show before, but in a different place. I'm going to read this to you. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, um, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the uncorruptible beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. That's uh, First Peter in the Bible, chapter 3. Um, incorruptible. There's a part of us that is imago Dei. It's Latin for made in the image of God. We are all God's creatures. We are all part of God. The Bible even says we are gods in our own right. Jesus says that to the Pharisees. It's another offensive thing that he said to the religious establishment of his day that's also not real popular today amongst Christians to to value ourselves up there with God but just like it says in in John 14:20 I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you for those who struggle with their Christian worldview, like that is huge. And for those of you who aren't struggling with theological acrobatics, right? Again, realize your layers. That's all I wanted to really get across in the show and how you move through life. And when you're choosing a mate, Right? Choosing a partner. Take time to mine those layers with them, to be vulnerable with them. Thanks for listening. I appreciate every single one of you listening to the show. Um, Till next time, ASI247.org. Hey, check out my friend Seth Taylor, his group, uh, My Pilgrimage on Facebook. Uh, Search Facebook groups for my pilgrimage. Till next time. Bye. Well, I close my eyes Remove each piece of armor one by one Inhale this moment deep into
I, or Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is a listener-supported podcast. Do you like what you hear, here? Please leave a review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or wherever you may be hearing this podcast. The podcast, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is owned by Digital Audio Project LLC who is responsible for its contents. SI, the podcast and its content is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to replace or substitute for any professional physiological, medical, legal, or other advice. In addition Russ makes no representations or warranties within or through the podcast or website. If you have specific concerns or a situation in which you require professional physiological or medical advice, you should consult with an appropriately trained and qualified specialist. The ASI Podcast is a listener-supported production. Your greatly appreciated financial assistance in keeping the ASI Podcast up and running is the reason it has been in existence this long. But Russ needs more accomplices in delivering this underground message to the masses. You can give one time or be a monthly accomplice to this here pirate radio program. You can do that as a co-producer. Go to ASI 24 ORG to learn more. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe.